Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day. I've been a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. Welcome to this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, the podcast that people turn to when they want to learn more about the inner workings of the nursing home industry and the care that is delivered in the nursing home setting. My guest today is Morty Eisenberg. Morty is the co-founder of Tapestry Telehealth, a unique and innovative telehealth company that works closely with skilled nursing facilities. Morty, welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's a, we're really excited to have you on the show. Uh, nursing homes typically are slow to pick up with new technology and new innovative ways of providing care. And telehealth is really all of that. It's a new innovative way of providing care. So tell us a little bit before we jump into nursing homes about how you personally got connected with telehealth and then why is it such a slam dunk, a win-win for the nursing home industry? So great. Thank you. So my, my interest in telemedicine and, and just in, in taking care of patients in nursing homes is, is quite long. Uh, I started off as a nursing home administrator in the late 90s. Um, I'm also a, a uh, started off as an EMT and then a volunteer paramedic. And I've been in, you know, the, in the industry for, for many, many years. And something that's really always frustrated me, um, you know, especially as a volunteer coming into nursing homes where I would have the ability to treat patients medically in ways that the nursing homes themselves couldn't treat patients. So we would have emergencies that when we would come in sort of as volunteer EMS workers, we would see all these situations where I would say to myself, why is it that I can do more for this patient than the staff in the nursing home themselves can do? And as I made my way around the industry and generally both in administration and in various clinical roles, I realized that it was just very, very difficult um, to bring clinical services to many of the nursing homes. Um, so, so my interest in, in you know, kind of trying to help fix that or, or change that is, is really, um, you know, almost 25 years old. Uh, so when, when uh, my partner and I, Dr. David Chess, got started with Tapestry, it really was just bringing a lot of these things together for us. And we can talk about how that works. Okay. Well, thank you. That was a pretty full background of how you got into this. Now, let me just uh, jump in there for a minute. And nursing homes have nurses. Nurses homes have doctors. Nursing homes have nurses' aides. Why, why are they not able to deliver the care that you felt that as an EMT or as an outsider you were able to deliver? Right. So, um, so in general, nursing scope of practice does not allow nurses to make uh, their own independent treatment decisions. Nurses generally work under the, uh, under the direction of a doctor. Um, so for, 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 from the get-go, nurses can't usually make these decisions. That's number one. Um, number two, generally the nursing homes were um, you know, staffed with a lower staffing ratio than most hospitals or other healthcare settings are. Uh, many nursing homes are staffed with, with LPNs, licensed practical nurses, which is, a, which is a lower version or a lower level of nursing um, than, say, an RN, for example. Uh, but essentially, it comes down to a number of things. It comes down to 
um, especially over the recent years, an increase in the acuity of patients coming to the nursing home, number one, the, the change in the quality of the nurses in the nursing homes, so you're using a lot of LPNs versus RNs, um, the programs that the LPNs and the RNs are actually attending are even shorter than they ever were. Um, and, and then, the, you know, the staffing ratios in those nursing homes. Uh, and then when you couple that all with the fact that they still have to reach a doctor in order to make a treatment decision, you end up with basically um, situations where they're not necessarily recognizing a changing condition early enough uh, because they're either short staffed or they don't have the training or the critical thinking skills to do that. Uh, the acuity level is higher. And then when somebody does finally get ill, then they don't even have the ability to reach out to a physician in many cases to actually make a treatment decision. So you take all of those things together and you really have, uh, you know, a lot of room for improvement, if you will. Okay. I mean, and that's, that's, and you know, you're, you're trying to be politically correct. We don't want to put everyone down. We both know both as being former nursing home administrators, how hard some of these nurses work and the load that's given to them and the limited resources that they have to provide the care. And even the good nurses are challenged and they have a very, very limited amount of patient time that they can have, um, you know, together with the resident. And even if they are skilled and even if they are trained, which like you said, some of them aren't, it will still be difficult to identify, you know, an acute event that's just, you know, a change of condition that's just starting. And then they have to try to get a hold of the doctor and the doctor has to have the presence of mind, you know, to be able to understand what's going on, give the orders and it has to be implemented. Now as an EMT, so are there any particular incidents that you recall coming into a nursing home that jumped out at you um, that said like, oh my goodness, there's a problem here? Was this a, a general feeling that grew over getting oh. that type of exposure? Yeah. So, so first of all, I, I practice as a number. I know this doesn't necessarily mean everything to any to, to everybody, but I practiced as an EMT for many years, and then I actually became a paramedic. As a paramedic, actually, we have the ability. We we carry uh, forty plus drugs. We carry basically we bring the emergency department to the bedside. So, as a paramedic, I actually have aside from you know just being able to pick somebody up and take them to the hospital, I actually have treatment options at my fingertips. And again, like I said, I have a, a box of 40, 50 different drugs that we have available to us. And many of those same drugs do not exist in the nursing home, or they do not exist in a way that the nurses can access them and actually do something about. Um, and also a lot, a lot of the times, you know, we would see, um, we would see situations and I don't want to harp on any one particular story, but this constantly happens where you find situations where you're treating a patient that, you know, this is a series of many missed events or clues that brought this patient to this door. I mean, I have, you know, I will say a story of the guy with chest pain and, and we get there and they're telling us about, and this guy's been, has, has had chest pain for two days. And turns out he's in, you know, ventricular tachycardia. He needs to be, defer, uh, uh, needs to be cardioverted. It's electricity, he needs medication. I mean, it's a serious event, but this has been going on for two days. Um, so again, I, I'm not, you know, this is not about bad mouthing uh, nursing homes, nurses, nursing care. It's, it's a challenge. You're dealing with people that are ill. Um, the, the, the nursing home of today is the community hospital of yesterday. That's a term that's been out there and it's absolutely the truth. Um, you know, more and more of the acuity is being shifted into the nursing home, but it's, it's been taking some time for nursing homes to really catch up to that level of care, both staffing wise from the quantity of staff, from the quality of staff, um, and, and just having the ability to really take care of those patients. Um, but that really, you know, we're, we're really focused a lot on the nursing piece of it. And, and, and obviously the nurses, you know, I had an old, uh, 
an old director of nursing who like, liked to remind me all the time, every time I, I, I could, uh, every time she could remember, remind me, she would remind me that this is a nursing home, not an administrator home. Um, so she was what, what does she mean by that? Not an administrator home? Because every, you know, anytime the administrators were oh, trying to get involved with trying to run the facility, she would try to remind us all, you know, this is not a nurse, this is not an administrator home, this is a nursing home. But the truth is the nurses are the backbone of the facility. Um, but again, like I said before, they can't really make a lot of these treatment decisions without a doctor. And until now, and I would say up until recently, and in many ways it still continues, but for, for many, many years, the nursing homes were the backwater of medicine. Most doctors didn't want to work there. Most doctors were basically coming on their way home from their day job, whether it was they worked in a hospital, they worked in a private practice, and they had some nursing home patients in the nursing home. You know, they come by, we call it drive-by medicine. We used to joke about the one guy who didn't even turn his car off, just run through the facility, see the patients that he needs to for his regulatory visits, and move on and have a nice day. And everything else was done over the phone. So that has changed in, in certain markets for sure. And mar many of the urban markets that has changed a lot because there's so much more at stake now. Um, but it's still, a, it's still a challenge even in urban markets and it's still a challenge in, in the rural markets for sure. It's a challenge where you may have physicians that come by once a week, sometimes once every two weeks, sometimes once a month. And everything else is done over the phone. In some cases you'll have, um, the patient needs to be sent to his office to be seen, even for that first admitting visit. So, so that's something that you're dealing with, wow. and, and that's a major, major issue in the nursing homes. Mm -hmm. So when we looked at, when we started Tapestry, and again, my, Dr. Chess, my partner, has experience with telemedicine with the previous company, which he founded, which is, um, which his, other, his old company, like many other companies that do telemedicine, really focused on this after-hours urgent care type of model, where if somebody gets sick in the middle of the night or over the weekend, you can call them. We took a different approach here with Tapestry, recognizing that there is a major shortage for primary care in general. So well beyond emergencies, just taking care of people on a daily basis. And we see telemedicine as sort of this great enabler or the great equalizer, where we have a lot of resources in this country and you have a lot of people that are willing to work and see patients in nursing homes, but they can't necessarily get there or the homes are too small to support somebody. So the model of care that we took was basically replicating a model of care that we know works really, really well in the nursing home, use telemedicine to enable that model of care and bring it to even the most remote, far-flung places. Okay, so, so what is the model of care that does work well and that you're using telehealth now to... So our, 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 we are a multi-specialty multi practice. We have um, the, the primary workforce for us is nurse practitioners. Uh, we, we assign a nurse practitioner to every building that we uh, partner with. The nurse practitioner is available to the building on a daily basis. Nurse practitioners in general are a great workforce for this. Um, they, they, number one, they're nurses by, by training and background. So they really, they really fit in well with the nursing home staff. The nurses like working with them. They have a lot of patience for them. Um, they, they generally take more time with the patients uh, and their families, sometimes too much time, but you know, from a businessman's perspective, but in general, right. from a care perspective, they are spending a lot of time with, with patients. There's been study after study. Uh, most recently, the one that I know of was out of Missouri, where they did a study on the, uh, the effect or the efficacy of having a nurse practitioner in a building full, full time. And they've measured over a two year period that it had a dramatic increase uh, or dramatic effect on quality measures, on rehospitalizations, 
Uh, now, th this wasn't part of the study, but we see it on PDPM, um, just being able to code correctly. So that's a model of care that many nursing homes took on where they hired their own nurse practitioners. So when we started the company, our premise was, if we can take that same model, and again, our original focus was on the rural markets, although we've moved well beyond that now, um, but originally it was on the rural markets, we can take that same NP where maybe a small little 50 bed home in the middle of nowhere can't possibly afford to have a nurse practitioner or even recruit one. We can use telemedicine to enable that same model of care where they end up with a dedicated nurse practitioner in their building every day. Um, and then we started layering on all kinds of other medical infrastructure for these homes like behavioral health, psychiatry, psychology, cardiology, pulmonology. Um, we've even had requests for dietitians, social workers, people are starting to see that being that the technology is available, you can really project resources into many homes without necessarily having the person there. And this really, you know, at this point, some of it is limited by, by uh, um, reimbursement, but the need exists both in the urban and in the rural markets. We've had plenty of requests uh, for certain, let's say specialists, for example, uh, to come into to even large urban buildings that they just can't get a cardiologist or a neurologist to come by every so often, they would like us to be able to bring those people via telemedicine. So it. I see it sort of as this great, you know, equalizer, bringing resources from where they're, where they're available to where they're needed um, in a very efficient way. Okay, so I mean, basically what you're saying is that right now in the United States of America, there are plenty of practitioners who would love the extra work and there are plenty of nursing homes and probably other settings as well that are desperate for it, except that they just either because of location or whatever challenges that they may have, they cannot get there. And telemedicine is kind of bridging that gap. So before we go any further, can you just explain for us on a very simple level, you know, how can I diagnose a heart condition if I'm not physically there? How can I diagnose a very um, intricate or sensitive uh, pulmonary issue if I'm not physically there. So how does that work? Is the technology where it needs to be? And what do you see like going forward with the, from so the technology that's standpoint? That's definitely a great question. Um, and it's a question that is raised to us many times. And I would say that clinically speaking, the care that we give, again, we're primarily doing primary care. Um, most of that, our, our equipment, it's, it's a very, you know, it's a very simple to use piece of equipment, but it's also very advanced in that we have you know, a nice big, large screen. It has two cameras on it. One of them that has a stethoscope, one of them has an otoscope attachment so we can look in the ears, nose and throat. Um, we have a, a zoom camera that we can do up close, let's say like wound care type of work with. Um, and then there's a stethoscope. And then through the software, we're able to actually dial in the, the, the frequency of that stethoscope. So we can listen to heart sounds, lung sounds. They're all different frequencies. Um, you know, some of the doctors that we've worked with actually have said that the stethoscope was was sharper than their Littman stethoscope, which is really the best in the you know hands-on. Um, but again, the, the anatomy of a visit, if you will, is that there is always a nurse in the room with the patient. So you have a nurse in the room bringing the cart into the into the room, bringing the telemedicine cart. The nurse is really the hands of the of the remote practitioner. So, you know, so much of what is done. You know, for example, if you're, let's say, trying to find out if somebody is in pain, so you can press their press on their abdomen. If you're looking on their abdomen, if you're looking at their abdomen while you're checking for that, you may miss the fact that they just grimaced when you touched them. So, 
there's so much of what's going on that you can just observe. Um, you have good history taking, good EMR that you can see, you know, what's going on with the patient and then competent hands to help you through the assessment. You really can make very, very good diagnoses. Now, as far as, you know, you said a complicated pulmonary issue or complicated cardiac issue, um, we've done that. I mean, we have cardiologists, we have pulmonologists that work for us that are in our practice and they do this regularly. So again, a lot of it is about history taking and exam and having somebody in the room. And a lot of it is about labs and, and just other uh, radiology or other imaging or things like that, which they can order. And then once they get those results back, make those decisions. There's, it, it's, it's really fascinating to really watch how little the practitioner needs to physically lay their hands on the patient when they have all these kind of clues at their disposal. Now, I'm not gonna say that every single practitioner can be an expert at telemedicine. There's a, there's a few components to it. There's, there's obviously the clinical component being able to kind of work remotely where you have all these tools where you're looking at people's faces, you're looking at, um, you know, you're getting information from other people that are helping you, you're ordering labs. You know, there, there, there's definitely a skill set to that, but also is the human component when you need to be able to connect to a person through a screen. And we find that the good clinicians, and, and we spend a lot of time trying to find those good clinicians, they really connect well with those patients. And within you know a minute or two of being on the screen together with them, that screen kind of melts away and they're in the room with them. So wow. that's, that's wow. yeah, we had, I mean, I love sharing the story of, of, you know, we had this woman that we were seeing pretty regularly and she was an end-stage cancer patient. Um, and the NP really built a relationship with her. She was seeing her a few times a week. She had some serious issues. And the, uh, you know, she had asked her, I guess in conversations, they were talking about her dying wish. And her dying wish was to be at her nephew's wedding, I believe, and to go to a casino for, for you know, for a, on a weekend. And one weekend, the NP um, drove over 100 miles from where she lived in Ohio to where the patient nursing home was in Pennsylvania. And together with the nurse that used to bring out around the cart in the building, they actually took her out to the casino. Um, actually, I think this happened twice. And then ultimately she did pass away. Um, she didn't make it to her nephew's wedding, but it, it was really fascinating to me that, you know, people ask us, oh, is there really a personal touch to this? I mean, if somebody can drive a hundred miles to take her out because that was her dying wish, it gets very personal. It really well, does. Do they end up seeing the patients more? I mean, they do probably. They get to see them more frequently than a regular doctor making rounds. Yeah, well, that's, that's what's really beautiful here is if we see a patient for an issue on Monday, you know, proper clinical practice probably, especially if it's something that's subacute, is to see this patient every few days to follow up, especially if it's something, you know, that has you know, <coughs> chronic conditioning, an exacerbation of CHF or, you know, something that, that can be pretty serious. Um, it's clinically sound to want to see these patients every few days and being that we're able to easily facilitate that, that does happen. Um, and the same thing happens, you know, at night, if somebody calls us, you know, great example is patients who fall or patients with chest pain. Not every patient needs to be sent out to the hospital. And sometimes the nursing homes just do that because that's what they have to do. That's their protocol. But if they can call and have a practitioner lay eyes on the patient, and then more importantly, say, you know what, I'm here all night. I'm here until tomorrow morning. I'm here throughout the day. If you, you know, if we're going to do, let's say, neuro checks on a fall patient, check in with me every three hours, leave the unit in the room turned on so I can just observe her for the next few hours. There's so many things that you can do remotely that just frees the nurses up to do what they do. Um, and then they can move on. So it really does, it really does work well.
I mean, that's a huge piece. If you have falls in the middle of the night, which unfortunately is many times when it does happen, you know, patients getting up and they need to use the bathroom, the staff are not aware or they're not available or too lazy sometimes. And then a fall happens, they don't want to call the doctor in the middle of the night or the doctor's not available and they just send the patient out when sometimes it's appropriate. But like you said, many times it, it could be avoided. Just moving on for a moment to the reimbursement side. So who pays for all of this and who can make, who can take advantage of this? So, so when we, so first of all, telemedicine right now, as of, well, I should say it is 2020 already, but as of a week ago, telemedicine was only reimbursable in areas designated as rural. So CMS would pay again, Medicare part B, um, which is the pair, the majority for most patients. Uh, would cover this in rural areas. As of January 1st, 2020, um, they've expanded that now so that Medicare Advantage plans, if they want to, can pay for this even in non-rural areas. So initially, most of our business and most of our partnerships were focused on the rural markets because there's a payer for it. Um, We do have a small fee to the facility, but the facility also gets to bill Medicare what's called an origination fee. So they get to bill, they get to bill about $26 per encounter. Uh, they'll collect about $21, which generally covers the cost of our administrative fee. So essentially this ends up being no cost to them. Um, we've, we've also expanded into the urban markets where being that telemedicine is not reimbursed, we've actually looked to place nurse practitioners physically in those buildings. So this is stepping beyond telemedicine but what's really nice about it is that we give, you know, we are able to bring them the telemedicine component for the nights and the weekends. And so they end up with a really 24 hour face-to-face program using the same, same practice. So the NP that's there during the day works for the same practice as the NP at night using the same EMR. Um, you know, we have many times where the NP during the day may have seen a patient and is worried about that patient and she'll call out to the nighttime NP and say, hey, listen, I'm watching this patient. This is what I did for her today. If they call you overnight, this is what's going on. And vice versa, you know, for example, we get, you know, as a nursing home administrator and as anybody listening to this, I'm sure none of you ever, ever have an admission Friday afternoon after 5 p.m. Of course not. Uh, no, never, never happens. But assuming in the rare case that that does happen, um, you know, clinically speaking, the right thing would be that somebody should see that patient within, you know, the first 24 hours. So many times the doctor's not available till Monday. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you'll have patients coming in with all kinds of wacky meds from the hospital or other things. Or, so, or the rehab team will be scared to move a patient. That happens a lot sure. because we don't know, it have, haven't been assessed yet. Exactly. So, so clinically speaking, we can see those patients via telemedicine over the weekend, even in the urban buildings. And then and then feed that information back to the daytime NP when she returns on Monday. So we tried to, you know, we, we tried to bill ourselves as a medical infrastructure company. We do a lot of telemedicine and telemedicine enables a lot of what we do, but it's not only about telemedicine and it's really, you know, telemedicine unfortunately has become, is starting to become a commoditized term where people think, oh, I have telemedicine, I have telemedicine. For us, telemedicine is a delivery model. It's a delivery uh, method. Um, you know, so if we're in a building, we may be there physically. If the, if the nurse, the, like we just had this in an urban building, the NP is not, she, she was injured. She is not able to physically show up to the building for a week. Now she needs to see patients because she needs to see patients. So she's seeing patients via telemedicine in that building, even though it's not reimbursable. So nobody's getting paid for it, but clinically speaking, she needs to be available to that building. 
and we're able to facilitate that because we have that that sort of model. So, um, you know, I'm very excited, obviously, about what we do, but it, it really allows us to bring resources into very, very, you know, places that are hard to reach. Um, you know, just speaking of hard to reach, again, people think of rural as hard to reach. I used to work for a large company in the Northeast, and we operated a large 510 bed building. And even sometimes in that building, it was difficult to get a specialist to come visit, you know, to, for a specialist in the middle of New York City to leave their practice and come to a facility to see patients, they really need to have enough patients to see for it to be worth their while. So you start, you know, we see that in a lot of markets and we see a lot of need and demand for specialists, psych, you know, psychiatry, psychology. We do a lot of that, both urban and rural because of that need. And again, using telemedicine, we can be in quite a few places at once. And that really makes the model efficient, but it also makes it, it makes it viable. It makes it work. It doesn't mean, you know, you're not ending up with a company that's going to go out of business in, in a few months because, you know, they have to travel between all these facilities. Got it. Now, we're just, uh, we're almost out of time over here, but just as we wrap up, what do you think of the future and the opportunity of as the technology advances even further and as not just the technology but as the community the clinical community becomes more aware accepting and open to actually implementing it and changing old institutionalized ways of delivering care so what do you expect to see going forward so a lot of that so first of all a lot of it has to do with reimbursement obviously all these things need to follow the money because at the end of the day if there's no payer it's really difficult to do um to to, to have any of these uh, programs work unfortunately it's just the way it is so the, the, to that end like i said medicare has opened this up as of 2020 um, to medicare advantage plans i really do believe that within the next year or so that's going to be open to non-rural buildings as well so that basically telemedicine will re, will be reimbursed uh, fee for service everywhere um, you know obviously down the road it'll be built into these value-based care initiatives and and maybe the models will change but essentially uh, telemedicine is here to stay. It's very effective. It's been studied many times. Um, and I think that once it crosses that bridge where now it's basically as if you have an in-person visit, that allows for a lot more things to happen. So take, for example, um, having, let's say, monitors in every patient room, having vital signs monitors in rooms where, you know, for example, my, you know, my, my dream has always been, um, and we start seeing these in facilities, but you bring in subacute patients. Um, you know, we talk about wearables, for example, everybody wants, you know, let's put an eye watch on every single new patient. There are there, I think there are simpler ways of doing it, but essentially, if you can really monitor patients closely and kind of get an idea of when vital signs are changing, when their trends are changing, you can get ahead of a lot of problems. And if you can then be paid to actually take action on those problems, or if there's finances in that, um, you're going to see a lot of that happening. And I think there are some very forward thinking people that are already doing this sort of on their own dime. Um, but to, to get this out sort of to the masses where you have a subacute unit, um, you know, again, you're seeing this in the ICU world. They have tele-ICUs. They've been around for many years where you'll have, you know, a camera and a, and a screen uh, in a far-flung hospital middle of nowhere, two-way video, two-way conferencing. Um, all the patient monitoring is built in and the patient is, is being monitored. Uh, from a remote uh, tele-ICU, you know, take that out into the nursing home space or even into the home care space, for example, um, that's the frontier where you can do your remote patient monitoring, where you're looking at, you know, trends over time at their vitals, which can give you very early clues as to something happening. You can, you can use other tools, other uh, AI tools, for example, that are looking at 
um, looking at the EMR and what's being documented, what's being documented by the CNAs to kind of get a clue, like, you know, this patient hasn't eaten in a few days, this patient hasn't had their meds properly and start taking, you know, some of that clinical software to kind of give you clues as to when people are, are getting sick, but then also be able to actually see them and intervene. That's been the missing piece. You know, right now you're relying on an overworked nurse that's, you know, working one to 20, if you're lucky, to now take a report that says, oh, this person hasn't eaten in three days. You know what? That patient's probably not going to get attention until they're septic on day three or day four. But if you have, if I had a, let's say, a, a view into that room and I can check in on that patient remotely and say, hey, you know, so-and-so, this patient, like, you know, you look at her and she's kind of half asleep. And then you can direct somebody into the room to really get you the rest of that picture. I, I think you could start heading off a lot of problems. Again, yeah, I mean, that... But, you know. No, I mean, that has always, for me, that has always been frustrating that you come in there, you, especially as an administrator of a, of a facility, and you have a state surveyor or even someone higher up in the same corporation, they come in there they at 11 o'clock with their Starbucks coffee, already thinking about lunch at 12. They come in with their laptops that are nicer <laughs> than anyone else in the facility. They start pulling a few reports like, hey, what happened to this? What happened to this? What happened to that? And start calling in nurses and nurses start hemming and hawing. And, you know, and they're finding all the things that were, that were wrong. Now, a lot of those people used to be on the floors, which is why they can find things very quickly. But a big piece is that even the good nurses and even the RNs, even the ones with experience, they're, they're struggling to survive. They're yeah. literally struggling to survive, struggling to pass the meds on time. They're struggling to make sure everyone has the basic necessities. They're not looking at reports. You're lucky if they can document them. You know, some of them, they can't stay late to document because then that's also a problem. And, and, uh, and it's also putting, putting the dots together. You know, when, when, when you have that CHF patient that puts on three, four pounds, you know, to some nurses or LPNs, it may not mean anything. So no, my, my point is, even if it yeah. does, they don't yeah, have the what? ability, they don't yeah. have the bandwidth, they don't have, they don't have the space, exactly. the mental, uh, emotional space to go and do anything about it. But if you can take the outsiders, instead of coming in after the fact and saying, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Look at it as it's happened. While we, the nurses, or they, the nurses, are busy doing what they do, empower them with, with those who have the skill set, the training, the, you know, and the mind space to deal with this. Uh, you know, that's really a completely different ballgame. Yeah. We're really at a time we could definitely talk about this all day, uh, all all day. <laughs> um, and all week. And more to you, it's been fascinating uh, to hear your journey and specifically what, what your company has done with telehealth and the direction that your company is going. And this is definitely already something that's taking off. And, you know, there are a lot of players that are coming in. Um, and really excited to see where this is all going to go. Uh, where, where is there, where's the best place to send our listeners if they want to learn more about you or about your company? So our website is www.tapestry.care, C-A-R-E. Um, lots of information there. Contact us on that page. Uh, you can reach me directly through there. There's all the information on that site. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it, I'm looking forward to speaking again soon. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with all of your friends in the nursing home industry and just tell them to head on over to the nursinghomepodcast.com. In the meantime, head on over to iTunes. Leave me an honest, wonderful review. Take a screenshot of it and I will send you a gift 
straight and special for you. Again, head on over to iTunes, leave me an honest review, take a screenshot of it and send it on over to me on LinkedIn. And I'll be sure that we send something out special just for you. Have an awesome day.